Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Building Scale. Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Ryan England. Ryan is the co- or is the founder and CEO of Core Matters. Since 2011, Core Matters has been dedicated to addressing the challenges of high turnover and rapid growth, all while strategically filling open positions with quality frontline workers who are passionate about what they do. Ryan is a disruptor, a new wave of thinking in the world of small business, especially in the blue-collar industries. Uh, Growing up, Ryan saw his father, unwavering dedication, working timelessly as an owner-operator, even well past his retirement age. And this is what inspired Ryan to empower hardworking business owners and leaders like his dad to break free from the tradition and tackle old or age-old problems with fresh perspectives. The secret weapon, hiring and retaining which will be a big component here, uh, the right people. Ryan firmly believes that retaining talent is the single most effective way to scale your business uh, and grow to new heights. Uh, So buckle up, get ready, and dive into, as we dive into the world of strategic hiring, retention, with the powerhouse knowledge, examples, and expertise from our very, very special guest, Ryan. So with all that said, Ryan, welcome to the show. Justin, that was awesome. I love that bio. Thank you. That intro was great. Will, great to see you again. I'm excited to be here. Great seeing you, Ryan. Yes, uh, we're really excited. We hear this almost every person we talk to. What's well, a problem? Hiring's a problem. What's well, a problem? Finding good people. Mm-hmm. What's well, a problem? Like it's just it's over and over and over again. So today, I, I hope to solve this problem for everyone that's listening. Here we go. We got Ryan here. He has all the knowledge. Um, one thing that uh, you'd said to us ma- multiple times is retention is the problem, not the hiring piece. So let's let's dive in there. Let's talk about retention compared to hiring and, and your views on that and how you've seen uh, that be the true culprit of this big uh, problem that everybody apparently is having in the industry. Yeah, well, you guys know this. I'm going to share this for your listeners too. I don't pull punches. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Um, I might offend you. I apologize. It's not just you. <laughs> It's, there's a lot of people struggling with this, but people come to me and they say, I got a hiring problem. No one wants to work. Everybody's entitled. Everybody's lazy. Everybody wants a remote job, blah, blah. You've heard it all. Right. And then I ask them, I say, Hey, it's almost the end of 2023 now. And you can do this any year. How many people are you going to have on payroll at the end of the year? And they'll give me a number. You know, I I had, I had one company tell me, Oh, 40, 40 something, 41 to 42. And I said, great, how many W-2s are you going to issue? And they're like, whew, 77. Well, that sounds to me like you don't have a hiring issue. You actually have hired, what, 30 extra people this year, plus whoever else left. Um, That doesn't sound like a hiring issue. It doesn't sound to me as though people don't want to work. Now, 
I know what they're thinking. Well, I hired them and they were lazy bums and they didn't have good transportation and they couldn't get to the job site and they lied to me and didn't know how to do their work. Or you didn't onboard them well. You didn't have a solid training program. You weren't willing to develop these people that want the jobs, but no one's willing to give them the chance because everybody wants to hire the five-year experience veteran who's amazing and is going to do all your jobs under budget and get them done in record time. Isn't math great? <laughs> so we don't you know, have a hiring problem. If you just paid problem. that person double than everybody else, then you'd get that person. I mean, yeah. theoretically. Well, yeah, but pe- 9% of people leave for more money. That's it. 9%. Interesting. Okay. So if they're not leaving for that reason, uh, you mentioned onboarding being a, a big piece of this. Is What is the reason that this the other uh, We've all heard this leaving? before. People don't leave jobs. They leave bosses. bosses. Yes. They leave bosses, which are your managers, are your leaders, are people. So people don't leave jobs. If I'm a craft worker and I've experienced in my craft, guess what? I know how to do that work. I want to go do that work for someone different. I don't want to go do different work. I want to do the same work, but I want to do it for someone else. So that's why people leave. People leave for a whole a multitude of reasons, but they're leaving people. Now, you might get that. You might go, oh yeah, that makes sense. But here's the hard part about this. That means that the people that are leaving you are leaving you. Ah. Ouch. Not leaving Ouch, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. I not want everyone- ways, right? I want everyone that is listening to this episode, just pause for a quick second. And I hope you actually listen to what he just said and reflect on your own company, whether it's you or with whether it's there's people leaving your company, reflect on what manager or managers they are leaving. And if it's a repeat issue there, you might've just uncovered something. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, It's one of those things that it's really easy to look at everybody else and say, oh, I get why they'd leave them. But they're only leaving me because they're making more money elsewhere. (laughs) It doesn't, that's not true. It's not true. Here's another harsh stat. I love numbers. I love numbers. 70% of the job market is passively looking for work. I mean, seven out of 10 people would be open to another job if it fell in their lap, essentially. AKA recruiters. What? AKA recruiters, recruiters like to hunt for those passive people because I used to be one of those people. I never looked for a job ever, but long time ago when I, you know, was on the other end, I was actually quote unquote looking for jobs. I was employed. Uh, That's exactly what happened to me. I think all nine times that I had, you know, it was recruiters that were calling me and they were, they had me on speed dial. So yes, passive hundred percent. I agree with that. So seven out of 10 people are passively looking for work. And most people want to hire someone who's gainfully employed. Fair, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Here's the other thing to think about. If seven out of 10 people are passively looking for work, and that's who you as the employer who needs people needs to go, you need to find these passive job seekers. Seven out of 10 of your people are passively looking for work. So we fix this problem when we realize it's a retention problem, not a recruiting or a hiring problem. That said, a lot of ways we solve the problem is by hiring the right people. 
hiring people that fit our culture, hiring people that want to come work for us, those kinds of things. So we solve a lot of the problem through hiring, but it's not a hiring issue. It's a retention issue. So we we talk about right people, right seats all the time. We're an EOS company. I know you are very familiar with EOS. Your book, your your co-author, uh, EOS uh, is an implementer or somebody that is EOS driven, certainly. Um, but what does that mean for somebody that isn't running on an operating system like that? Like, how, like, you know, people throw around culture a lot. They throw, Hey, we're a good place to work, all these things. But like, what does that actually mean for the average GC or, or, or trade yeah. partner? So we've all heard the right people, the right seats, get the people on the bus. We've all heard that metaphor. Jim Collins, good to great. Yep. Uh, you can learn all about that metaphor. The, the reality is, when Jim Collins finishes that metaphor, he talks about getting the right people in the right seat. He's only talking about your executive team. He's only talking about the people that are deciding where the bus goes. I mean, unless this bus only has five or six seats on it, it's got a whole bunch of other seats you got to fill up with people in your business. Well, that bus is going to get stuck in traffic. It's going to break down. It's going to take a detour. There are a whole bunch of things that are going to happen to that bus. It could be a pandemic. It could be economic uncertainty. It can be, you name it, like a whole bunch of things are going to cause your bus to have problems. When your people, when you have the right people on the bus and they're all excited about where you're going, that's the key here. They've got to be excited about where the bus is going. When they're excited about where the bus is going, when it breaks down or it sits in traffic or you got to take a detour or whatever, they're going to stay on the bus because they're so pumped and jazzed about where you're going. But if they're not pumped about where you're going, they're like, I'm sitting in traffic way too long. Ooh, it's a stop. They're going to get off the bus, take their friends with them and go get on another bus that is very, is very important to them. They find one that is going where they want to go. So that's what's driving people. That's why people are leaving because they're not excited about the people they're working with and they're not excited about where your bus is going. So I think that that example can work whether you're running on EOS or not. Okay. When people think of the big picture, the bit, if it's a BHAG or if it's just the vision of, of a company that thinks like, hey, like this is what we're trying to achieve. It's larger than ourselves. It's a much, it's a much more grandioso venture. Uh, when we think of our people that are in the field working on working on site, doing all those things, we get a lot of feedback from people that says like, internally, we we all believe in the vision, but when you get to the guys that are on site, they don't, they're not as invested in. Like we feel like there's a, a division when you talk about like office worker or leaders in comparison to then the field guys. What, like, why, why is that? And then how do you fix that? Yeah. Um, what you described is everywhere. You don't even have to be in a construction. I mean, in, in white collar companies, it's marketing and sales, right? It's their fault. <laughs> it's the same thing. Like we're all different visions, different goals, all of that. Here's what I think happens in construction particularly is you have a bunch of office workers who have never been in the field. So they have zero appreciation for it. They have no idea what those people are going through. You got a bunch of field workers who have never sat in the office. So they don't know what it's like to put in 40 or 50 hours a week behind a computer and be called into all these meetings and never being able to get work done because that's kind of how it feels in the office sometimes. Whereas out in the field, they're very used to hitting production numbers, budgets, all of that stuff. They're very used to the numbers, but they're not used to the fact that you 
you don't get the leadership training. You don't get invested in, you don't get poured in. People don't care about you because you are, what do they say in the industry? You're the hands. Mm -hmm. So they call them they're the hands. And so they don't understand each other is the problem. So like one of my favorite things to do is to take people in the office, put them in their work boots and send them out to the field and actually go do the work for a day. And then they wake up the next morning and go, okay, that hurts. That sucks. I never want to do that again. <laughs> and then they have a different level of appreciation. And then take the craft worker and put them in a computer all day. <laughs> By noon, they're going to be, I'm ready to quit. This is dumb. Yeah. I'm not doing this. And so I think we forget that cross-functional training is so important for people to just have perspective. And so that's where we run into this issue is that we... We understand the importance of the others, but we don't actually have perspective of them. And so when it comes to recruiting field workers, you have to understand you can't recruit them the same way you recruit office jobs. You just can't do it. It's different things that drive them. It's different things that motivate them. Boy, you just gave the modern version of walk up mile in another man's shoes. Like, that's, that's amazing. That's what I think is missing in this. Um, we have a we have a client that hired a uh, director of, of talent acquisition, and she had no experience in the field. And during the interview, I said, "You guys need to make sure that she's comfortable once a week putting on the boots and getting out there and meet people." And she's she's hiring these people. She needs to understand who she's hiring for. And you know, for the first couple of weeks, it was great, and then I got busy. I got these meetings to attend. I've got all these emails to deal with. I get pulled in all these different directions because office work is so, I'm going to say scattered a little bit more than the production work in the field. That's fair. I think that's a good way to explain it. It's more scattered. Um, you had mentioned hiring for in the office in comparison in the field and how that's different. Companies, how do they tell both those stories then, right? So, you know, if hiring, you know, it's there, there's marketing effectively to it. Like people want to work at a company because what they see or what they hear or the story that's being yeah. told to them during the process. How do you uh, effectively t tell both those tales? Well, I think the the question is how do you make it the same tale? Because mm -hmm. we're all in this ship together, right? And if there's a hole in your compartment. <laughs> And nobody knows how to patch that hole or the person in the other compartment in the front of the ship knows how to patch that hole, but they choose not to. Eventually we're going to drown. We're all going to drown. We're all in the same ship. Right. And it's important to, to be intentional about how do we create the same story? You hire a certain type of leader, you communicate a certain way. Now are the tools and the mechanisms you use difference between the office and the field? Sure. Uh, we have we have one company where uh, anybody below a foreman doesn't have access to technology. Like they're not given an iPad or a computer or anything. I mean, they're out there. They're supposed to be doing the work. So what they learned was everybody has a smartphone. And so they implemented software that you do not need a password for. All you got to do is put your phone number in, get a text message, and you can access this software on your smartphone. So the tools they used were different, but... The way they were communicating, what they were communicating had to be the same between the office and the field. Does that make sense? So. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You had a plumber drains example. Yeah. That you talked to us about. Could you, could you tell that 
one here. Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you a little background though. Is that okay? Yes, please. Oh, yeah. background. So, so we work with the skilled trades as well. So not always construction. And uh, they were talking about the fact that they can't find anybody with the five years experience, right? That's the magic. Everybody wants the five-year experience seasoned technician that, by the way, is only 25 because they want them to be able to do it for another 30, 40 years, right? That's yeah. what everybody wants. It's and, like finding a quarterback, uh, franchise quarterback in the NFL draft. Like you really <laughs> want them to be a certain age, but they also have to be so good. Like there's just, yeah. there's no, there's no like flexibility. It has to, it has to be Patrick Mahomes or generally nobody. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we said, okay, well, great. What are you getting? And and here was their biggest issue. So I'm a big fan of employee referrals and I, we can get into that, why they work, why they don't work. Uh, but they're like, everybody here has been here two plus years. So the referrals have dried up. So the only thing we can do is bring in brand new people, like out of high school, out of college, want to get into this trade. And they realized that it would take two years to really be, this was a service plumber. So really be able to put them in a truck and let them just own it because there's so many nuances and intricacies. What they figured out was, you know what? There is one thing that we do a lot of. It's not a huge moneymaker for us but we can teach it in six weeks and we can put a guy in a truck after six weeks of training and we can trust that he can do this. And what they realized was a lot of people call a plumber because they have a drain issue. And when the plumber's on site, they can identify other opportunities, upgrades and remodels and those kinds of things that they can do. And so what they did was they taught these new people drains and they're, they just, all they do is just book their schedule with drains. Now, what happens? They're out there. They're like, oh, there's an issue. I'm going to call this other person to come in and talk about the bigger issue and upsell you on the bigger issue. So now the new person is learning from the season tech while they're still being productive, while they're still taking care of the customer, while they're still billing, while they're still making you money. And so it was a stop. It was a stopgap and a step in the right direction and being able to say, how do we bring someone brand new in and get them productive and profitable as fast as possible? And so that's what they identified in their business that they could do that with. Do you think that that's possible in more businesses? And how I would phrase this is like, there's PMs, there's assistant PMs, and then there's like project coordinators, like where it's like, hey, a project coordinator doesn't really need any experience other than you're not a a total you know moron. Yeah, you can like multitask. As long right? as you have, as long as you can multitask and you can like follow instructions, like yep. you'll be fine. But that's the path to getting somebody to like, hey, you need five years of project management experience. Like, well, be a project coordinator, yeah. move up to yeah. assistant project manager, then go to a project manager. And like, this is the path to do it. Do you think more like companies should be, I don't know, whatever, whatever this this assistant to uh, effectively yeah. roles? Well, here's the reality. In the next five years, 40% of your craft workers are going to be aging out. This is not easy work. Mm. All the experience, all the tribal knowledge, all exists with people in their, you know, late fifties, early sixties, and the average retirement age is sixty-one in construction. So because they got to go for those knee surgeries, exactly. Well, yeah, it's physically grueling work, and their bodies just the body. can't handle it after they're sixty. So if you don't have a plan to train up the next generation, you might as well just say, "Hey, I better sell now," <laughs> or I'm going to have to figure out how to exit when I have no one doing the work. So taking it and breaking it apart, splintering the job is what I call that, like splintering the job. So if you look at 
any role. You've all heard of the 80-20 rule. The Pareto principle, of course. Yeah. There's only 20% of the work that's getting 80% of the results. Mm -hmm. So you take that project coordinator, you give them to a PM, and you teach that project coordinator how to do the 80% of the work that's only getting 20% of the results. Now, you have to be a strong leader, and you have to have a very self-aware project manager who can say, here are the things that I need to give up, which is a whole different conversation, but it absolutely can be done. There are parts of the work that are very time consuming that you can give to someone with minimal experience. And then you need, but like you said, Justin, you got to be intentional and have a path. You have to have a plan. You can't just say, here's your assistant for the next five years, train them. You've got to have milestones. You've got to have a little bit of a training program. Maybe you send them off to do some third-party training or something. Like You have to have a plan. But absolutely, you can, in any role, you can do that. You can coach someone up that just has the right behaviors the right mindset, the right attitude, the things you can't teach and then teach them the rest. And that's a, that's a fundamental principle in our, in our work. It's hire for a hire for things you can't or won't teach. So the answer seems really simple, not easy, simple. Uh, uh, I think is the, is the right word here. So why is it, so you've talked to, Plenty of companies, you talk to you know plenty of owners. Why don't they change, or what are the issues? Why don't they change what they're doing? It's easier not to. I mean, that's the reality. It's easier to be the victim than it is to take ownership and say, "Hey, I I control this." So it's a mindset shift. So absolutely. A, so people have a hard time with change, and they just continue doing what they're doing in some version of that. There, okay. There's a definition of that, right? There's, there's a word I think insanity, you're right. Yeah. I think that's the definition of insanity. insanity. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget. It's probably about five years ago. I met this guy, third generation iron worker, third generation. And they said, said, hey, I'm looking at this. I, I want to talk to him about PTO. Because in when you're a sub, there's not a lot of PTO. If you're a craft worker, you don't get paid time off. It takes a year. Well, in his case, it took five years, five years to get one week. I asked him, I said, that's, I'm curious. Where did that come from? He said, well, that's the way my dad did it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Why'd your dad do it that way? Well, that's the way granddad did it. <laughs> okay, but why? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, it seems kind of silly. I go, what's your average, what's your average attention? He goes, average employee stays here 2.2 years. I go, so in other words, you just get out of paying any kind of PTO. <laughs> like, I'm like, so why even put it out there? Like, no one's ever going to earn it. He's like, well, my foremen do. I go, but those are people on a career path. Those are people climbing your corporate ladder. Of course, they're going to earn it. But everybody else that just wants to be a craft worker, which is really important, like not everybody wants to climb the ladder. Not everybody wants to be a leader. There's some people that just want to come in, do their work and go home. They're never going to get paid time off. And he's like, I guess now I see it. And so he actually changed. It took three years for him to finally get to the point where he said, okay, after a year, they get a week. This is the best we could do. <laughs> it took three years for him to come around to that. And I think, so sometimes it's easier just to do what you've always done. Well, there's one version of change from insanity. Maybe someone's listening out there. Um, like I said, I don't pull punches. I just, I say it how I see it, so... So um, talk a little bit about 
So we're in a society where first impressions matter, mm. right? Um, can you talk a little bit about your view on first impressions? Absolutely. So we we are in a society where first impressions matter. I mean, you look at you look at websites. So anybody that's ever built a website, you have three seconds. I think it's actually like two and a half seconds now, right, to capture someone's attention, or they're going to leave. It's three seconds. You have three seconds. It's been said that um, some women can tell within the first couple of minutes if there's going to be a second date. Like they don't even spend the whole time with you. They're going to know if there's going to be a second date. We are so focused on that first impression that people like we look at the dating world, they'll they'll go get their hair cut. They'll buy new clothes. They'll buy new cologne. Like they'll rent a car. They'll do all this crazy stuff for that first impression because it's so important. The same thing happens in recruiting. Same thing. And both sides, by the way, we're both guilty of this. The employer and the employee, we're both guilty of this first impression thing. And it's it's one of those things that there's such a, a emphasis on this first impression that there becomes a disconnect between who we present ourselves as and who we really are. And okay. you even see it, yeah, I mean, you even see it in dating apps, right? Swipe left, swipe right. I mean, instant. What do I, who do I want to talk to? Who do I want to talk to? And it's the same thing that's happening here in the recruiting space. Okay. So how, how do you make a good first impression? Well, I think authenticity is the most important piece. In fact, I just heard yesterday, I haven't verified this yet, but I just heard yesterday, someone said that that's the word of the year with like Merriam Webster or something is authenticity because we live in a world where authenticity doesn't exist anymore. I mean, look at anybody's Instagram you know, it's it's the highlight reel of all the best parts of their life. It's not all the the garbage stuff. Nobody posts that on Instagram. And so we live in this society where we put together this this false front. And if we really want to make a good impression, it's being being real, being authentic. I think that's what people are craving now. But we have this habit of doing it this way for so long that we almost don't know what that's like. We almost don't remember how to be real anymore. So when you're saying being authentic. What you're really saying is being vulnerable. It's actually it's part of it. Yeah. Showing the shit. Yeah. Well, you can't, I, I just found this out a few weeks ago. You can't do this anymore. But years ago, I had a client, we sat down, I sent an interview with him. He starts dropping F-bombs. This poor lady, she was applying to be an office manager. She's dropping F-bombs. And you could just tell she was not comfortable. He didn't hire her. She didn't take the job. But we got done at the interview and he turns to me, he's like, What'd you think of that? I was like, you're proud of yourself? He's like, well, that's part of my interview process. I drop F-bombs because we curse a lot around here and I want to make sure that they're comfortable with it. I said, dude, I get it. I love the authenticity. Here's what I want to do. I want to drop F-bombs in your job ads that we're posting online. His face goes white. He's like, you can't do that. Why can't I do that? So you'd rather put a false front out there and say, here's who we are. We're all perfect, blah, blah, blah. And then drop F-bombs when they're in your office because that's who you are. What a waste of time. What a way to embarrass and humiliate people. Like, just stop it. <laughs> now, you can't do that anymore. Indeed made it so, you know, they don't, we've all become overly sensitive about things. So you're not allowed to curse in your job ads anymore. But uh, five years ago, you could do that. Asterisk <laughs> help. So do at symbols and some other symbols. Dollar signs. <laughs> Dollar signs, yeah. yeah. You figure it out. But that's the thing. Like we're so focused on 
being this pristine brand and being perfect that we don't want to be vulnerable and own our faults and our shortcomings. You know, that's, we, we all want employees to be self-aware. It's a big one. I keep hearing that a lot now. How do we find self-aware employees? But I think the way you find self-aware employees is by becoming self-aware yourself. And I think for a lot of employers, they're not self-aware. They're living in this bubble of what they think they are or who they pr purport to be or who marketing tells them they are. And they've never really realized, huh, we're different than that. So what one, so let me just make sure that I sum up what I'm, what I'm hearing. You're yeah. saying essentially what, what one person thinks might be toxic, right. Or might not be, you know, viewed so greatly uh, in one version, but you're saying lean into that because that's who you are. And so you'll, you'll essentially filter out the people that wouldn't have been a fit anyways, or are essentially going to leave the company anyways, because of that lack of fit, what might be perceived as a portion of the world, maybe even 50% of the world is toxic. You're saying lean into that, uh, because it'll get you the right people and, uh, really, you'll just have better retention, aka fixing your hiring problem. There's somebody for everybody. You're, there is you're somebody more, that will thrive anywhere. You're more is on that? the side of like, yeah, curse, like that's fine, but then own it. Like, don't own it. Like, don't don't play both sides of this. If that's who you are, and again, and I know you can't do this in a job anymore, but like, if that's what's up, then when you have that first thirty minute phone call to like, you know, bet somebody, like. Hey, and it doesn't have to mean you have to like swear in it, but you say, Hey, like we do swear. Like we, we have, yeah. we have sailor's mouths. I want you to know that right out the bat because like, you know, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable at a certain point. Da, 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 you know, right? Well, there's a, it's, it's, it's natural for us, I think. And in nature, I remember this, my kids were watching a documentary and there are these vents in the bottom of the ocean, two miles down this awful steam acid toxic thing is, and they found life there. It's like 600 degrees coming out. It's acidic. And there's life there thriving in this environment. There's somebody for everybody. You can have the most toxic culture, what I would consider a toxic culture. And there will be somebody out there to be like, these are my people. I'm yeah. home. Yeah. I belong here. And you just got to be real with it. And that's the problem. We, we got away from being real a long time ago. And I think that's the, that's the piece that, for us, that's a big piece of how we solve this problem is be authentic. That actually makes sense. If you look at and and not to not to put uh, business and conspiracy theorists in the same realm here, but like if you think about the craziest conspiracy you've heard of, there's more than one person that believes this and like they all find <laughs> each other and like they have yeah. conferences and do what all the you know, they do all the things that you'd be like, well, obviously they found their tribe. So it is about finding your tribe and saying like, these are the, these are it. Like if I'm uh if I'm a bro and I'm like, I just want to hang out with a bunch of bros. Like that's, that's what's up. Not, not that could be girls or boys. Cause obviously I know there's more, uh there's more legality to that, but yeah. Like I just want some bros around. Like that's what, that's what I'm looking for. Well, I think that's important piece too, that you bring up is be, be okay with your biases. Like, I think one of the reasons we, God, this whole thing of putting on this show is because we wanted it to be a way to protect us from our biases. We're all biased. Like, I'll admit it. 
I'm biased. I have biases. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's one of those things that like, for example, I'm a, I'm an Apple guy. When someone comes into a meeting with me and they've got a, the new Samsung, whatever, I'm just like, Oh, you just like to feel like you're in control. That's the reason you have Samsung. Cause it's not locked down. <laughs> and that, that feeling of control, which they still control you. You need that. I don't know if I want that on my team. Right, I'm convinced there's two types of people in the world. I'm going to get off this soapbox in a second, but those are the people that are are uh, smitten with Apple and fully on the platform. And then there's everybody else. Like nobody really likes the Android platform, but they just dislike iPhone so much. Anyways, I'm done. That's <laughs> awesome. So both but me, it's the same both thing me here. and Will are Google phone users for sure. So that's yeah. hilarious. Um, <laughs> which would, would fall in suit of the Android. But then on top of that, uh, for me, I use a Mac. So like, I'm like the worst, I'm like the step headed. Uh, oh, step -headed so you like things that don't like work horrible. together. So you no, love I, it when fact, you're fragmented I try to make sure it's harder. That's, you know, I, I like, I like the, uh, you know, the grind of the hardness really oh. builds the character of the person. And I think anybody that just hops on a platform, I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. So process is way better. Justin use the same like oil and water. <laughs> okay. Got it. Masochist use, in a word. Yes. Masochist. Use Anyways. the same systems please do that don't take my advice scalability <laughs> is so much easier when you're on the same platform for everything so yeah but my point is we all have biases right that Definitely. is just a silly example of a bias and but we all have biases so one of the things i'll ask people you're not allowed to you're, you're legally you cannot do this you cannot choose whether it's a man or a woman that will fill the position legally you cannot do that uh, we all have an idea like bookkeeper, usually a man or a woman. We all have an idea. Project manager, man or a woman. Foreman, man or a woman. Like we all have the bias. And what happens is when we go into that interview and the opposite shows up, we instantly go to this place of, oh, this isn't the person I was hoping to get. There's just something about them that's not right. And we'll find something. We'll actually look for a reason to disqualify them because of these biases. And so one of the things that we coach a lot on is removing these biases by becoming authentic. So going to my team and say, hey, I think it's a man that's gonna fill this position. And they're like, why would you think that? Or I agree with you <laughs> or whatever. Okay, now that we know we have this bias, we can be open about it. We can be honest with ourselves about it. Now let's go out there and find the best person for the job. What we do is we create this, this environment, this illusion that we, we want everything to be perfect. And we actually should just own it and say, this is who we are. Like, I'll tell you, I, for me, uh, I, I share this with my team. I share this with everybody. I have a bias towards hiring women to be on my team. I don't know why it is, but sometimes a guy applies and I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know why. That's the bias that I have. We all have it. And if we're not open about it, if we're not honest about it, if we're not vulnerable about it, it's going to hurt us in our recruiting. So that's then, the first step of awareness. Even though then. you don't, yeah, yeah, even though you don't um, say that, like we can't hire, you know, anybody is a, uh, a qual, anybody is a possible candidate. It becomes like, yeah, I say that, but internally I know that that's not true. So once you bring it out, it's like, well, am I just falling into my bias or is there... 
this person actually not the person I want to hire. Yeah. And and I see that happen all the time. You know, I'm really involved in NAWIC and some of these other groups that are looking to bring more women into the trades. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, is it's such little shifts. It's just little tiny things. But for some reason, our biases hang with us as all oh, women can't do this work. I'm like, depending on the trade, they do it better than men do. Yeah. So for a whole bunch of reasons, just because we're physically built different, but we have these biases. And so it really impacts our ability to recruit the right people. So we put on these false fronts. We put it out there that this is who we are, even though it's not. And then we hope to make up for it later. And that just never works. All right. So culmination of what we talked about, you actually wrote a book. I did. What's it called? Hire better people faster. Talk to us about what is what's in the book that we haven't talked about yet. Uh oof, there's a lot. I think we're in the intro, what we're talking about right now. So mic drop. One of the things that I did a long time ago was I realized that the reason, especially in we we work with a ton of blue collar companies, um, all the industries. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I realized is that for some reason, just like the trades have gotten the bad rap, go to college, that's more pristine and let the trades be your plan B. I think a lot of coaches and consultants and authors and that kind of stuff ha- feel the same way about the trades. Like I'm going to write a book for the SaaS companies <laughs> because those other ones, like that's the blue collar stuff. Well, we wrote the book to be a how-to manual. These are people that are used to building things. And so what I wanted to do was to build a process, create a process that they could then take and go build a better recruiting machine. And in the book, I break down the seven components that everybody needs to be looking at to build the right processes to attract the right people. And the first one we start at is core which a lot of people will call culture. I think it's deeper than that, but it's the way you behave. It's the way you think. It's the, the mindset. It's the, the reason you do what you do. It's where you're going as a company. That's core. If we did that right and we attract people to our core, almost everything else takes care of itself. But what happens is, especially in the trades, we look at that and go, hey, that's too warm and fuzzy. I'm not into the kumbaya stuff. And so what they do is they say, we don't deal with emotions on our, our job site. And I say, great. When's the last time a foreman yelled at his superintendent or threw something? Oh, we count that in minutes around here. Like those are emotions. <laughs> so don't tell me you don't do it. You're just, you're just channeling the wrong way. Uh, and uh, so what I wanted to do with the book was give them a how-to. How do you build a process? So it's very much a process book. How do you build a process that you can manage effectively without worrying about hiring only A players. Because I'd rather take a B player and give them an A plus process than have an A plus player and give them a B process. Mm. Mm, interesting. It's um, Talk more about that. Everybody wants the A plus players. Everybody's looking for those, those unicorns. Everybody wants the unicorn that is amazing at 
delivery, but also an exceptional salesperson. Like, yeah. you know, like so, everybody wants that. So we'll, we'll talk about the B, the B plus players. So those people are rock stars. Right? I call them the rock stars, those A plus people. Those are your rock stars. They're the ones that are amazing. They never have to look for work. They don't have a resume. They suck at interviewing because they don't do it very often, right? That's what we want. And what happens is we get out there and we find an A player, a rock star. They come in and they bomb the interview because they don't know how to answer the questions. They're fidgety. They're nervous. They're like, I haven't done this in 12 years, right? Like it's them. Yeah. And, and they're like, they didn't interview well. And we boot them. And then these people come in that switch jobs every six or 12 months. And I'm like, I really don't want to hire them because they switch jobs too much, but they just said everything perfect. Everything I wanted to hear. <laughs> so that's the difference in the A players and, and the rock stars. But I think what happens if you take an A plus player, remember they want to play on an A plus team. So you're never going to, if you've hired B's and C's your whole life, and then you find an A plus, you might be able to lure them away with the right money, with the right false promises, whatever. But they ain't going to stick around because they know that they're going to be the ones picking up all the loose ends. Most companies aren't full of A players. You got a lot of B players. And the reason I think you have a lot of B players is because you got a few C players that are bringing the average down. So we often see people, they let go of a C player and all of a sudden, these couple of people rise up to the top and they're like, where have you been my whole life? They're like, fixing his issues for the last four years. And we don't think about that. So that's why when you hire, when you hire a, a good person and put them into a great process, the process is going to tell you everything you need to know about who's performing and who's not. But when you take good or bad people, AC, ABCs, and you throw them in and there's no process, how do you know who's really carrying the team? If you don't know how to keep score, we talk about EOS, we talk about scorecards, right? Oh yeah. People want to know what it takes to win. And in a lack of a scoreboard, they're going to come with their own rules for how to keep score. And if those rules don't align with yours because you didn't build a process, you better hope they're playing the same game you are. And often they're not. So, okay. You dropped a lot here. Uh... There's a couple other topics that I want to go over before our time runs out. Talk to us about job titles. Job titles. Yeah. So here's the thing. If you are recruiting online, if you're recruiting online and you're posting on Indeed, we're going to pick on Indeed for a minute. You have to remember that Indeed is a search engine. That's what it is. It takes a whole bunch of content, job ads, aggregates them. And when someone types something in the search field, it gives them what they think they want. And the better it is as a search engine, the better results the job seeker is going to get, the more likely they're going to stick around on Indeed. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Indeed wants people to see there. If they type in project engineer and they get a whole bunch of bookkeeping jobs, they're probably not going to ask Indeed to help them find a job in the future. So keep that in mind that you're, that these job boards are search engines, which means not only do your ads need to be keyword optimized, but the title of your job matters. I have this joke that I share. I was like, yeah, I had one, you know, we see it all the time where we get this weird, crazy job ad. It's like captain and commander of the U unicorn army. It's like, what the heck does that mean? Oh, they're the call center manager. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> so let's do call center manager because no one's typing that into to Indeed or Google. I would have never guessed that. No, out of <laughs> out of a hundred guesses, that's not one I would have guessed. Yeah, uh, we got some examples in the book of just crazy stuff people come up with, and it's stop being creative. Like you, I don't care what you put on their business card. I mean, the more creative you get on the business card, the harder it is for them to say go somewhere else and say, look, I'm doing the same work because they won't know, but don't put it in the ad because that's not what people are searching for. It's not. Uh, there was a period where Indeed did this thing where there was this new policy about gender, uh, gender neutral language. Well, if you're hiring a journeyman, Indeed was originally flagging that. It's not gender neutral. Mm, got it. <laughs> And I'm like, indeed, journey person is not going to be okay because no one is ever going to search for that. Even even uh, uh, foreman, like foreman, every, like, you know, handyman, just, like there's yeah. a whole bunch of them. Yeah, interesting. So, uh, but so you have to understand how indeed and the other job boards are indexing your ads and really the behavior at which people are searching. So you know the most popular uh, search on Indeed? I, I just learned this. 60% of their searches are a city, state, no job title, blank. 60% of their searches are, who's hiring near me? Interesting. What? I would, Isn't that crazy? wow. Is that, that just means like, I don't really care and I just need it close and that's kind of it? Like I, I'm I'll sure do, there's a whole I'll bunch do whatever. of whatever I'll look yeah. through, I'll, I'll cipher through once I know what's close to me. Well, think about what happened in the pandemic. A lot of people were called non-essential, mm -hmm. right? That makes me feel really good. I'm not essential. Uh, and so a lot of people look for switching industries, right? That they, they just were like, I need to know what else is out there that pays close to what I'm making. And I think that that's one of the things the pandemic did was made job seekers realize there are options. So I think people are less loyal to an industry or less loyal to a line of work than they used to be because of that. Huh? Oh boy. You mentioned earlier about employee referrals and mm -hmm. uh, like essentially why, why do they work or in your eyes, why do they work? So employee referrals are great. And I, and I think if we ask anybody listening right now, they'll say, Oh, I love it when I get an employee referral because, uh, they're usually pretty good. Uh, you know, they're, they're just like the person that referred them. They're not looking elsewhere. So there's no competition. They're not desperate. So they're not like they have to, I have to hire them right away, make a decision right away. And then when they get here, they act and behave in a way that's consistent with the person who referred them, which I like that current employee. So I like the new one. The reason that happens is Gallup did a study that says there is a, people are six times more likely to be engaged if they have a best friend at work. Employee engagement directly relates to productivity and profitability. So you want to create opportunities for our best friend at work. That's why employee referral programs work so well. But here's the problem. Most people don't get enough referrals from employee referral programs to put all of their efforts there. And the reason is only 6% of people are motivated by money, which is how most companies reward for an employee referral is money. Is there a way to be able to manufacture a best friend? You know, like, as in like using this as in like, 
if we made if we could pair our people up to make them closer, they will inherently be more productive. It's like that's what you know, the study says. New hire mentors <laughs> is something we talk about. Okay. You bring them in and on day one, you assign them a mentor and that's their go-to for all and everything. Like that's, and then you just create that opportunity for them to be friends um, is one way to do it. Now for your, your seasoned team, the people have been there a while, it's a little different. <laughs> they already know who they like and who they don't like, but mm -hmm. there's still ways to create mentoring opportunities, create opportunities for friends. And, and that's why employee referrals work so well. So um, but like I said, most programs don't work well enough because you can't rely on them to bring in all your employees. So if employee, okay. So if employee referral, only 6% is based on, but essentially are motivated by money. What's the one that's got the largest percentage that would work with an employee referral? Well, What's the way the we coach it is the reward should align with your company's value system. So if you value people being able to take time off and disconnect from the office, then PTO would be great. If you value technology and you're a technology-driven firm, then technology would be a great thing to do. If you value time with the family and experiences, pay for a staycation for them and the family, something like that. And get away from the $250, the $500, whatever that is, because it doesn't work. It's not a big enough reward for me to risk a friendship. And I think that's the biggest reason we don't get the volume is because most people aren't willing to call up their friend and say, hey, can you tell your wife I want you to quit your job? What's the wife going to say? No, you're not quitting your job. But, but listen, Ryan's going to get $250 if I quit my job. <laughs> like, that's the message we're sending. And no wonder they don't work. I'm not going to go risk a friendship over 250 bucks or the fact that she's going to put her foot down and not let me hang out with him and go to the game this weekend. I'm not going to risk that. Right. I'm just going to say, yeah, I don't know anybody. Hmm. That, I, that's me. Obviously motivation, right? Just like, just psychology, right? Like how, do, how are people motivated and find out what that is? I think those are good examples that are not just here's money or here's an Amazon card. Like, yeah, because I do think that and this is my, you know, uh, it's, it's we're recording this uh, later in the month. It's Christmas for, uh, for those that celebrate. And I like I'm not into gift cards. Like I've never been. I'm like, I don't want to give anybody a gift card. I don't want anybody to give me a gift card because I think there's a not personal touch to it. Right. Like it just seems like you don't know who the hell I am. So you're just giving me cash effectively. So like as an employee, similarly right so he's like oh i got you this thing that you absolutely needed and it was a necessity for you to keep running your business but you gave me 250 bucks and like it just seems like the the scale of like you don't really care about this there's not well, a the other thing of, like, to think about too is to remember there's two people taking a risk here mm -hmm. there's a referrer and the referee so why is it that we don't incentivize the guy to quit his job well, isn't that a signing bonus wouldn't that come into play? Well, I mean, if you want, if you want to hire people that are driven by money and take them away with more money, they're going to quickly leave you for more money. 
Come on, Justin. Didn't you else. just hear this? It's 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 like the guy that married a stripper and then he's mad because she's out stripping for other guys. And he's like, well, I didn't. Yes, you did know. <laughs> she was a stripper and you married her. What did you expect? Yeah, you should get mad when she stops because then the money stops. Like, you know, think about it <laughs> rationally. I agree. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, Not exactly where I was going, but thank you, Justin. <laughs> so, um, okay. So obviously being more authentic back to authenticity of like who you are as a company where hey we care about family you know families and we want to send your family on a staycation or wh- whatever that looks like oh that would be great i would love that experience with my family in comparison to you shelling over uh some cash that makes tons of sense to me so how so we're talking all on the company's day how does a employee vet a company what's a good way for the you know it, it's a, it is a dance right so like how how does a employee do the same process effectively, but on the other side. So we teach companies how to be authentic, how to ask good questions. And the number one thing that people will tell me as an employer, the number one thing that sets a job seeker apart is how well they know about the company. So if you're a job seeker and you're applying, I got a couple of recommendations for you. So uh, the first one is, this is this is going to be one of those things that might be a little difficult, but craft your resume for every job you apply for. Blanket resumes are out. Stop it. Because in today's day and age with the software we have, we look at our list of requirements and compare it to your resume. And if things don't match, you don't get through. So make sure that you're crafting a resume for every single job you're applying for. Uh, and there's there's some tips that I have around that. But beyond that, when you apply and they say, Hey, how did you hear about us? Or why did you apply to work with here? Go, I don't remember applying with you, but thanks for calling is not a good answer. And yes, we get that answer. (laughs) You need to know why you apply with that company. So this whole applying in mass thing needs to stop. Find four or five companies that you want to work for and court them for as long as you can until you get no's from all of them. Really go out, connect with their executive team on LinkedIn, have connections inside the company. Make sure that they know who you are. Apply with them, follow up, thank them. Don't just ghost them. And when they say, why'd you apply to join, apply to join our team? Talk to some about something that's important to them. Oh, I read your vision statement. Oh my gosh, I was like, this is where I need to be. Or I love that you serve this community. Or, hey, you serve this group of underserved people. I think it's amazing. And here's why that matters to me. Like find something to connect with them on. It's the number one thing that they tell me. They're like, I just when I ask them why they applied, I just want them to not give me the deer in the headlights look, which most job seekers do because they click, 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 apply all. <laughs> they don't even know who they apply with half the time. So if you're a job seeker and you're out there looking, you need to really go out of your way to say, hey, I'm interested in you. It's always dating. It's always back to the dating. Uh, it's always back to dating. Always. Um, okay. What uh talked a whole ton about process here. What uh what technologies make sense for a company? Hey, like I I'm recruiting or I'm you know looking for people, however they phrase that. Well, what are what are ways or what are technologies that make sense to use? What are things that are maybe just over the top for you know when we think so, of like construction? Yeah. So an applicant tracking system is hands down 
really the only tool that you need, but you need that tool. If you don't have an applicant tracking system in play, uh, it's going to revolutionize the way you, I mean, it's not just going to be an incremental improvement. It's going to, it's going to revolutionize the way you recruit, how many people you get in front of, how you manage applicants, how you communicate with them, how you automate things. It's an, it's an amazing tool for the, for the right company. I mean, you got to have, you got to have people that embrace software. If you don't embrace software, then it's going to be a challenge, but usually the office people are good with software. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, the everybody always asks me this: which one's the best one? Uh, the, the one that you use. It's the best one. The one that you pay for, and you're just like, this thing doesn't work. When's the last time you did any training on it? We've never done training. That's why it's not working. The one that's not an Excel doc is that what you're saying? Yeah, or an Outlook <laughs> calendar. How many training systems? You know, the other thing in construction we're starting to see more and more of is texting, especially when you're recruiting for the field because these guys aren't sitting in front of computers all day long. And so automating text messaging as a way to communicate way more effective than email. That's smart. That makes tons of sense. Yeah. So text what? automation platforms, which some applicant tracking systems have built in. Okay. Uh, do you, how do you feel about like personality tests and going through that and using either software that does it, or obviously just taking the test on the different, I love the many different so many. Yeah. I love pre-hire assessments. I think they're great. Again, the one that you use. Here's the thing about behavioral assessments that is a pet peeve of mine is mm -hmm. their value doesn't show up until after you've hired the employee. So, so many times people use them as a way to make a decision about who to hire. And then it just goes in their file and they never look at it again. And you're sitting on a gold mine of opportunity for onboarding the person, getting them to have friends at work, finding better ways to communicate with them, finding ways to engage and motivate them. You were sitting on a gold mine with that assessment. But what most companies do, they look at it, they're like, oh, they match our job model and they file it away. So if you're going to use them, use them. I love that. But that I don't think you should use them. So much as, sense. Don't use them as part of the decision process. Don't say, oh, they didn't match perfect, so they're not a good fit. Say, hey, this is someone I think I could work with. Let's talk about the issues we might have with the personality conflicts. Or, gee, I hired someone just like me. Let's talk about the issues we're going to have. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going to do it, use them. I love um, integrity assessments is a big one. I don't know if you've heard of those. No, tell us no, about it. No, tell us about um, it. Yeah, so likelihood for them to um, steal, lie, do drugs and alcohol on the job, um, and um, cause workplace violence. All things that construction companies are dealing with. Yeah. There was a company out there, it wasn't mine. This is a stat that I heard. They dropped their, um, their work comp premiums by like 40% because they started hiring people that weren't getting hurt on the weekends and filing worse comp claims, false work comp claims. Because mm. how many comp work comp claims are legit? Probably not as many as we want to say, I think are legit. Like they got hurt on the job site. Wow. Just putting that together, integrity. <laughs> I just, I don't know. This is, this is my ignorance, I guess, you know, kind of showing that, you know, how much people are willing to do or not do, depending on your perspective. 
there's one assessment, integrity assessment out there. And it says, uh, it's a multiple choice. And it's like, I would feel comfortable stealing um, some paper, um, a stapler. And then the last one's like $500 cash. And you would not believe how many people are like, it's 500 bucks. Who cares? It's only $500. They're rich. They're multimillionaires, right? They've got yachts that no one knows about. They, they're rich. Uh, the other one is filing worse comp claims. And then they ask for reasons why. And they're like, what's well, insurance? Who cares? The insurance company is the one losing. <laughs> and uh, it's crazy. They're worded in such a way so that there's, there's control questions. So they actually get to tell, are they doing their best to fake the test or not? It's pretty good stuff. That's uh, who cares? It's insurance. Maybe this, maybe this goes to the authenticity piece though. You know, Hey, I don't necessarily want a thief or somebody that's going to do drugs on the, yeah. on the job site per se. My email's maybe 1. I'm 7. like, Hey, like, like yeah, <laughs> screw that insurance company. I agree. I think the same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, the, the way people think, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we hit a lot of this stuff from people and they're like, Oh, they're not being truthful. They're not being authentic. Everybody thinks that if you have a $5 million company that you're making $5 million a year. Oh boy. Yeah. Anyone that thinks that we need to teach a lesson or two in finances. But, well, we but should nobody do does a whole that. segment on this. Yes, we but should. Nobody does that. Well, that's the problem. Okay. So we have come down to our last question. Okay. If you were to go back in time 20 years. What would you have told yourself? What would you have advised yourself? Do I have to pretend that I would have listened? Yeah, let's pretend for a second. I'm, let's hope that you would have. I mean, this is Bruce. I mean, maybe Bruce Willis went back in time, you know, to tell his tell his self and didn't listen. Right? Yeah. Said F you, asshole. Well, okay. Let's let's I pretend that most you're not Bruce Willis. Movies they don't listen. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? As a business owner, as an entrepreneur. Um, I would have, I, I would have niched deeply niched early on, uh, instead of being everything to everyone. That was originally my belief. It's like, well, yeah, I can help you. Yeah, I can help you. Yeah, I can help you. And then it's like, I'm helping no one. Cause I don't have a process on a system. So get really clear on what it is that you want and just go after that. Some wise words, mm -hmm. lots of lot wise words coming for you today. This is Thank you. Ryan, you've been amazing. Uh, I think that anyone that's listening in the industry, actually listening, uh, I think there's gold mine worth of value here just listening to what you have to say. Um, so, Justin, you want to close out? For us. Yeah, for sure. We uh, I will make sure to throw every uh, all your social and all that stuff in the show notes, uh, as well as a link to your book uh, where they can get it. Um, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that for our listeners? They want to reach out to me directly. I'm on LinkedIn, very active there. Uh, if you want to learn more about how we can help you or what my team can do, corematters.com is our website. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell the people before we uh, say our goodbyes? I think the biggest thing is just, you have to make the decision to be intentional. And you can solve all your hiring and recruiting problems, your attention problems, if you're just intentional about solving the problem. Awesome. All right, listeners, we had a great time. I feel uh, smarter even within this uh, past hour. So uh, I hope you do as well. And until next time, adios. Adios.
Thanks for listening to Building Scale to help us reach even more people. Please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep keep building building scale. scale.